started a series called The Change We Really Need. And, and it's interesting that, obviously, during an election year, a presidential election year, that the, the mantra every four years has always changed. It's the same thing. They just repackage it. You know, you, if you've been around long enough, you know that. You get pretty cynical about the whole process, probably like me. But at the same time, our country voted for the change that they wanted. Uh, whether they voted for Barack Obama or John McCain, they voted for the change that they wanted. And so I thought as we kind of evaluate our own lives and, and our country, what is it that we really need? You know, I mean, the, the truth is that, that we can rely on other people to bring about the change that we really need. And, and odds are, I believe... 100% against the fact that other people are going to bring us the change we really need. Now, you may say, well, golly, that just sounds kind of depressing. No, I think it's actually encouraging because the Scripture gives us a way to understand how we can be a part of the change that we really need. And this week, we're going to, this morning, we're going to talk about the change that we really need to see in our homes. Now, I have to admit to you that I, I get a little bit, I suppose, cynical about this as well because I spent four years as a public high school teacher and five years as a youth pastor. And so I saw firsthand the change that we really need in our homes, okay? And so some of you that have spent time around children, maybe you're an educator, maybe you've taught Sunday school, maybe you've helped out in different areas, you've probably, you could probably get up and preach the same sermon and say, you know what, I can tell you the change we need. If parents would just do this and this and this. And, and my goal today is not to, to come down hard on parents who, who we may perceive are not raising their kids the right way. That's not, that's not the goal. Because if we walk away feeling discouraged and depressed, nobody's going to do anything. All right? So I want you to walk away, whether you're a parent, whether you're a grandparent, whether you're not yet a parent, maybe you want to be, maybe you think one day down the road you will be, I want us all to walk away with a good foundation of what, what can we know about and what can we go and do to bring about the change that we really need. Now, if, if you're like me, you grew up in a family that certain things were passed on to you. Everybody has that, good, bad, or otherwise. And, and, and I hope to pass certain things on to my children as well. And, and I would venture to say that in this part of the state, since I'm not in Louisville, where I'm from, that in this part of the state, that... Some of you, your worst nightmare would be that your kids would grow up to be a University of Louisville Cardinal fan. I mean, it would be, it would be the worst thing that could ever happen. Now, be, to be honest with you, that would be my dream come true. I mean, check out, you can see my kids on the screen in just a second. They, I mean, all right, put them back up. There we go. All right. Now, now I'll just, here, here's what I'd like for you to do. I'd just like for you to focus in for just a second. And just in the back of your mind, just kind of let it go cards. Let it go cards. It's not, it's not working, is it? Go, go cry. It's not. The racers did well yesterday. I'll, I'll meet, meet you in the middle. How about that? I went to the game. It was interesting. This past week, I uh, had the honor of, of preaching the funeral of a, of a gentleman that I knew in Louisville. And he was a huge Kentucky fan. You can take that down. I don't think anybody's going to become a Cardinal fan. Uh, it was worth a shot. And I thought maybe, maybe my kids would win you over. Maybe not. But this gentleman was a huge University of Kentucky fan. Had football, basketball, the whole deal. And he, would always, he always had his U.K. ball cap on. And, and, and at the end of his obituary in the paper, the last two words were, Go Cats. And, and so uh, as I began to do the, the service, and, and I knew it was coming to that, I, I, I began to kind of read through the obituary. And, 
And I just told the, the family and friends, I said, look, I said, it, it pains me to say it, but for Ed, I'll say it, go Cats. And I said it. And uh, I didn't mean it, but I said it. And so, you know, but let's be truthful. I mean, there are family feuds that have begun over who you're pulling for. My dad's family is split right down the middle. My dad and his youngest brother are diehard UofL fans. But my uncle, the, my, my, my dad's middle brother, is, I mean, Kentucky to the core. And, and then, not only that, but in baseball, two of my dad's brothers are Yankee fans. And he and his dad, his, his dad's passed on, they're both Red Sox fans. I mean, they're just fighting all the time. My kids do know that the only team, the only baseball team they can't pull for is the Yankees. That's it. They know they can pull for anybody else but the Yankees. And so, anyway, but it's interesting to me to see the things that we get so passionate about passing on to our children. I mean, families will, will paint themselves all up to go to a ball game, and they'll all be right there together. And, I, you know, I think it's great. I have no problem with that. I'm, not, I'm a sports guy. I love it. But it's just funny to me that, that sometimes we'll focus on that. I mean, we provide for all sorts of development for our kids. I mean, think about educationally. There are some people that you know of, or maybe you've done it, that you've moved into a certain location so your kids could go to a certain school so that they could get the best education possible. And, and then sports-wise, we, we try as best we can, if our kid is bent toward a certain sport, to maybe get them around the best coach that we can find. I used to give baseball lessons quite a bit, and, and people would try to make sure that, that they, you know, if, if they needed a certain lesson on a certain, you know, whether it's pitching or fielding or hitting or whatever, I'd try to recommend the best person that I knew so that they could get their kid around that person. And, and you even think socially. I mean, we want our kids to be around the best friends they could have. We want them to be supported, and we want them to, to be encouraged. We don't want them being around negative influences and and then you think about their emotional well-being. I mean, we, we don't want to mess with their little psyches for anything. I mean, we, we build up their self-esteem. We tell them lies all the time about, you know, that was great. And, you know, and yeah, and, and don't we? I mean, it, you know, it's just it's part of it. We just want to build them up, and we provide for their emotional development. And then financially, I mean, most of us in here would probably say, I, I wanted to or I want to provide for my children a better life than I had. That's kind of a goal sometimes for parents. And, and maybe you're in the middle of that, or maybe you've come out of that, and you just say, I, I, that's what I wanted. And The interesting thing is that, that providing for educational and athletic and financial and emotional social well-being is, is good, but I don't find God talking a lot about it in the Bible. I just don't find it. Now, I, I, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with it. I just don't see it. I, I've read the scripture a little bit and I just don't find it being a real thing God's really out there championing you better get your kid around the best coach or else I mean it's you know your kid's going to fall flat on his face he's going to strike out every time I just don't I just don't see it I, and I wonder I wonder how many great athletes how many smart kids with great degrees how many kids who grow up and know all the right people who are emotionally stable who are financially well off how many of those will miss out on, on the one area that can provide them with eternal life and with justification or, or being right with God here on earth. How many kids will get all that other development and, and, and be the right person and miss out on the one absolute reason that they're here, and that's to connect with God through Jesus Christ? I, I just wonder. And, and so as we think today, I, I want us again to look at this from a perspective of whether you're a parent, whether your kids are grown and moved on, whether... Whether you're a grandparent or an aunt or an uncle or whether you're a student or a child or whatever you are, 
I want us to look at this from a biblical perspective and say, what can we do to bring about the change that we really need in our homes? God, God commands and, and challenges parents to, to, to raise godly kids. It's interesting that, that nowhere in the Scripture do you find that God sends out all, Jesus sends out all the Christians at the end of His life and says, now, go take the world by force and just take it over. In fact, throughout the Scripture, God just says, if you're a Christian, go have kids and raise them to be Christians who follow Jesus and devote their lives to Him. And that's how you bring about change. And I wonder how much God even cares about the other stuff. We, we sure get passionate about UK basketball, UofL basketball. Maybe not UofL for you, but for me. And, and we get passionate about that stuff. And yet I wonder, how much does God really care? Does that mean that we should go out of here and say, well, I'm not going to be a fan anymore? Don't read into that. That's not what I'm talking about. If you're a fan, go all out. I think you ought to cheer for your team and have a good time and enjoy it. And yet at the same time, we obviously know that the Scripture talks about some things that certainly are more important. So how are we doing when it comes to the spiritual development of our children? How are we doing when it comes to raising godly kids? Most of us would probably say, well, you know, I think we're doing all right. I mean, my kids are, you know, they're okay. Or, you know, they, they kind of run into some rough spots, but I know they know what to do. I mean, they, they're going to come back. I mean, they're, I just know it. Or, or you know, I, I just know that my grandkids, you know, they, they've got parents that are Christians or they take them to church or they're doing okay. I, and I, I want to challenge you with this. I, I want us to, to kind of agree on the fact that okay isn't good enough. Okay is mediocre. Okay is something that Satan himself would be fine with. I want us to agree upon that because the Scripture is very clear that if we're not either all the way hot or all the way cold, we're somewhere in the middle, God's not happy and Satan's thrilled. Let's just be honest. And so I want us to get on board with the idea that, you know what, I don't want my kids to just be okay. I don't want my grandkids just to be okay spiritually. I don't want them to just do the right things and check something off their list and think that everything's fine. And so how are we doing? Maybe you say, well, I think we're doing okay. I'm in good grief. I mean, my kids seem to believe the right stuff. I want to give you some, some research statistics that I found are really, I thought, very insightful and very interesting from a guy named George Barna. And you may have heard of George Barna. I don't know. He's a research guru and does a lot of his research, if not all of his research, geared toward uh, helping people become better Christians and, and, and learn more about how they can spread their faith and, uh, and raise godly kids. He does a lot of research that's very helpful for churches and families and so on. So it's interesting to note, and, and you'll see these on the screen. They're, they're not going to be in your, in your bulletin, but I want you to check a little. We're just going to roll through some of these real quick. So how are we doing? Guys, let's go ahead and get to the, get to the first one. Uh, just so you know, there are 78 million children that are 18 and younger. 78 million. Now we've got what, somewhere around 280 to 300 million people in America. So, you know, close to a third, maybe a, maybe a fourth of the people in America are uh, 18 and younger. Now, young people admit to being highly influenced by their role models and to be actively seeking more of such examples. But 44% of them admit they don't have any role models. Just interesting. That they, they are highly influenced by those sorts of people that, that they look up to. And they're, they're searching more, but four, almost half admit they don't have any. And, and what's interesting is that the people who could very well be those active role models... The parents, the majority of parents of adolescents, admit that they don't spend enough time with their kids. I'm the same way. I mean, let's just be honest. I admit that I don't spend enough time with my kids. I just, I, I'm working on it. Sure am. I mean, especially this week, as God's just been all over me about you're going to preach about this. Boy, you better be ready. 
And, and, and I, well, I'm trying. I want you to know I'm really working on that. I'm doing the best I can. But I think we could all at some point say, golly, I just don't. I, I didn't. I, I wish I would have. I hope I do. And, and so what are the results of some of this stuff? Of those who say they are Christian, we're talking about young people, 18 and under. Of those who say they are Christian, only 35% indicate that they are absolutely committed to the Christian faith. Now, these are, these are kids who say, yeah, I'm a Christian, 35%. 54% say they're moderately committed, and 10% say they're not committed at all. Still consider themselves a Christian, but not at all committed. 34% are born again by age 13. Now, let me give you a definition of born again. That, that's those who say that they have made an important personal commitment to Jesus Christ and who believe they will have eternal life solely because they have confessed their sins and accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior. That's what born again means. According to George Barnett, he just kind of summed it up for us. That's what we're talking about. 34% of kids uh, by age 13 will say that they are born again. Uh, only 4%, however, will be what's known as evangelicals. Now, let me give you, a, this is a kind of a long definition. It'll be on a couple of screens, a couple of slides. Uh, evangelical means this, that they are born again, and they strongly affirm the accuracy of biblical teachings, the personal responsibility to share their faith in Christ with non-believers, the centrality of faith in a person's life, the inability to attain external salvation except through the grace of God, through Jesus Christ, death and resurrection, the nature of God as the creator and sustainer of all that exists, and the existence of Satan as a real being, not merely a symbol of evil. Now that's a whole mouthful of stuff, but the truth is this, only 4% of kids who say that they are born again, that they have made a personal commitment to Jesus Christ. Only 4% are what we would call evangelical. And that's interesting. 75% of kids say that a good person earns entry into heaven by doing enough good works. That people are born morally neutral and make a choice as to become good or bad. Now, I, I want to stop there for just a second because... If they're believing that, if 75% believe that a good person can simply earn their way into heaven, and that, that if 75% of them say that people are just kind of born neutral, and they at some point in their life make a choice to be bad, I want to address it real quick. I just want to give you the simple truth from the Scripture. The truth is that Jesus himself said there is no other way to get to God, to get a spot in heaven, if you want to call it that, to have a relationship. There's no other way except through placing your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, period. That's it. Now, I want you to understand this. Most of us probably say, well, yeah, that's right. Some of us, though, are affecting that 75% of kids who say, well, you know, maybe you can earn your way into heaven. The truth is this, and it's a great truth. Trust me, it's a great truth. Because if I had to earn my way into heaven, I wouldn't get there. There's no way I'd get there. Because God says even that the good things I do are just like filthy rags to Him. And that doesn't mean he doesn't want me to do good things. It's just compared to him, I'm way off base. And so the truth is this, that only through Jesus Christ can I have access to God. Through believing in his death and resurrection and placing my trust in him, that's it. And 75% of our young people think, well, maybe you can earn your way there. Just be good enough. And, and, and the Bible is very clear that we are born into sin. That means that from our birth... We're going to sin. It's not at some point we make a choice to, to be good or bad. We're born bad. It's just the way that it is. Well, that's depressing. Well, it's the truth. It just is. But thank God for His grace in sending Jesus to the cross so that we wouldn't forever have to be condemned to a life apart from God. 
that through Jesus we'd have a chance. And, and, but 75% of our kids think that, well, you just make a choice to be bad at some point. It's interesting. One half of, uh, excuse me, three-fourths, let me, let me go, to the, go to the next one. It, it's interesting, three-fourths of, of our kids believe that all the sacred books from the different religious traditions are merely different expressions of the same spiritual truths and principles, and that spiritual and moral, moral truth can be discovered only through, human log- through logic, human reason, and personal experience, not through the revelation of God, not through God just giving us the Scripture. One half of our kids believe that Jesus committed sins while He was here on earth. It's interesting. Um, the scripture is clear that Jesus lived a sinless life. He did not commit a sin um, in, in any particular way. The, this is very interesting. Barna, according to all his research, uh, according to everything he put together, he came up with some probabilities. The probability of a person embracing Jesus as their Savior, for those kids aged 5 to 12, is 32%. Now, that's not a guarantee. It's just their probability based upon what research they did. 32% chance, according to Barna, that a kid age 5 to 12 will give their life to Jesus Christ. 4% for ages 13 to 18. 6% for 19 and older. Truth is, if we're going to influence young people to follow Jesus, it's going to be when they're young. It's just going to have to. And, and that should alter the way that we think about our own lives, the way that we think about our families, the way that we look at the change that we want to see in our country, the way that we look at how our church operates, the way we look at everything. It ought to come down to the fact that if folks are going to give their lives to Jesus, the overwhelming majority, the overwhelming probability is that they'll do that when they're very young. And if you gave your life to Jesus at an early age, you could say, yeah, I know. <laughs> I would say it probably got harder. If you gave your life to Jesus at, at an age maybe past 19, you could probably attest to the fact, you yeah, know, that was a little bit more difficult. Uh, that was hard. So I want us today to, to quickly look at some things that, that we can do to bring about the change that we really need in our homes. Because the truth is, our kids are, are not being spiritually developed as they should. Now, I don't have a study on Elm Grove's kids. I'm just saying our kids in general. And, and, and we yet have the power to do something about it. Whether you're a parent, grandparent, aunt, uncle, uh, friend, whatever, you, you can have an influence in this. Turn to Deuteronomy chapter 6, if you've got your Bibles. Deuteronomy's way over in the Old Testament. So if you've got your Bible open to Deuteronomy and you've also got your outline, you can see there's a few things maybe we're going to fill in today. We're going to try to get to that fairly quickly and give you some things that, as a parent or grandparent, friend, whatever you are, that you can help with the development of our kids and bring about the change that we really need in our homes. So Deuteronomy chapter 6, this is where we were last week, and I, I intentionally skipped over a couple of verses that I wanted to come back to this week. And if you were here, you, you may remember the context. If not, let me catch up to speed real quick. The Israelites are about to enter what's known as the Promised Land. They're this close to, to seeing God's fulfillment of His promise. I mean, they're that close to really seeing God do something amazing and bless them in ways they've never even imagined before. And I, I firmly believe that that's where we are as well. Uh, both as uh, Christians just in our nation, this close to seeing some influence come back our way. People want change. They want hope. They want something different. And we provide the ultimate hope through Jesus Christ. I think we're that close. And I think also as a church, as where we are here at Elm Grove, I think we're this close to really seeing God do something amazing. And so we kind of stand on the brink of where the Israelites were. And Moses, their leader, is giving them some final instructions. 
And before you go, before God blesses you, you've got to get this stuff straight. You've got to understand this. And so I want us to have that mentality today. Last week we looked at the fact that, that God requires us to love Him with all that we are. I mean, every, every ounce of who we are. And that means that all of our thoughts and our decisions and everything comes back to what does God have to say about the way I ought to live my life. That's what loving God with all you are really means. And the truth is the change we want to see outside of us will never happen until we're changed from the inside out. It's kind of what we talked about last week. And so this week, I want us to look uh, at, at, at verses 6 through 9. The Bible here will give us a couple of commands and challenges. Uh, and, and if you've got the, the outline there, you may want to write this stuff down. Let, let's get these couple of things first, and then we'll dive into the Scripture for just a moment. The, the truth is this. There are two things I want you to understand. That parents are held responsible for the spiritual development of their children. Parents are held responsible for the spiritual development of their children. That means... And, and it's overtly clear in the Scripture. There's, there's no, you can't read into anything. You can't say, well, maybe, maybe that doesn't really mean what it said. It's just clear, very clear. Over and over and over. Parents are responsible for that. So if you're a parent, you are responsible for the spiritual development of your children. I'm a parent. I'm responsible for the spiritual development of my children. So the flip side of that is, what does that mean? Who's not responsible? The church is not responsible for the spiritual development of your children. Are we there to partner with you? Absolutely. Are we there to help you out any way we can? Yes. But are we going to stand before God on account of your children? No. You will. I want to be here as much as we can. I know our church, we've got so many, I mean, there are people over right now working with our kids. They, they love your kids. They want to help any way they can. But the truth is, it's not their ultimate responsibility. God did not pass it on to the church and say, well, parents, just take them to church. Get them there, and somebody will fix them. They'll be okay. It's not the responsibility either of the schools. As I said, I've been a teacher, and I've been a youth pastor. And I've had kids in my class that I know, and kids in my youth group that I know, their parents just said, please, fix them. And I couldn't. Why? Because it's the parents' responsibility. There's one young man right now who's on my heart. He was in my youth group at Valley View Church in Louisville, Kentucky. His name's Chris. Chris was on fire for the Lord when he was in high school, around all of his friends who supported him and encouraged him and believed that he was called into youth ministry to kind of take what he had been given and pass it on. There's no way now you can get Chris to church for any amount of money in the world. He's not living for God in any way. And I look at his situation and I think, what did I do wrong? How did I not invest in Chris even more? And I just look at it and say, well, his family's just not doing it. I don't know what else I could have done. And I don't say, well, the church is not going to do our part. Trust me. We want to do our part. Jeremy, our youth pastor, and other folks who are working with our young people, they, I mean, they're, they are passionate about helping your kids. You bring them here, we're going to do the best we can. But it ultimately is up to you as a parent, up to you as a family. And secondly, if we love our children, and if we love God, and we will teach them a biblical worldview. Now, what is a biblical worldview? All right, you'll see this on the screen. It's not on, your, uh, not on your outline. A biblical worldview is very simple. It's a means of interpreting and responding to reality that is consistent with God's ways as described for us in the Bible. It's a means of interpreting and responding to reality. What we see and how we respond to it that is consistent with God's ways as described for us in the Bible. That's our responsibility. If we love God, if we love our children, then we will teach them how to respond according to the 
ways of God as described for us in the Bible to any life situation. Now, George Barnard in his book, it's called Transforming Children into Spiritual Champions. Great book. Um, if, if you need to know how to get your hands on it, I'd, I'd love to help you. He, he talks about not only just teaching them something, but transforming them into what's known as a spiritual champion. Let me give you this definition of a spiritual champion. And let's see how many of us would qualify as spiritual champions. Individual. Spiritual champion is this. An individual who has embraced Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord. They accept the Bible as truth and as the guide for life. And they seek to live in obedience to its principles and in search of ways to continually deepen their relationship with God. They live in ways that are noticeably different from the norm, even when compared to the average churchgoer. How many of us? Well, I tell you what, I had to ask myself that question this week. Am I that spiritual champion? I mean, am I that different than even the average churchgoer? And, and here's, I think, where it separates. What's your desire set on? Do you... Do you continually look for ways to get closer to God, to understand Jesus more, and to live for Him in a deeper way? I think that's what separates those who are just average, sort of, I'm here and it's good enough for me, but from the people who are the spiritual champions. Do you continually seek those ways? So maybe you say, well, good grief. I, you know, I'm overwhelmed a little bit. Not sure. I know what I need to do, but I, I just feel inadequate. I just feel like I can't. I can't get there. Understand this, that it's not you who transforms your kid's life. It's the Holy Spirit. It's God Himself who will transform your kid's life. So you don't have to be perfect. You just have to be consistent. You just have to be available. And get on the quest to raise those spiritual champions, to invest in the spiritual lives of your children. And so I want to give you just a couple of starting points today. And, and we'll probably... Let's, let's agree to do this. Let, let's get a couple today and we'll kind of put it on hold and we'll finish next week. How about that? All right? I want to make sure that this stuff has a chance to digest and that, that I'm not just kind of rushing through it to get done today. How about that? Is that fair? All right? Well, do, do God a, let's honor the Lord today and make sure that we, we, uh, we, we do, do right by Him. So we'll finish this one next week. But let, let's look at the first one today of, of some things that I think that we can look at from, from the Scripture. What are some starting points for parents? I mean, if you're, if you're going to just get started, how, how can we do this? If you're a grandparent, you want to help your kids raise their kids, if, if you're going to be a part of raising your kids to be spiritual champions, where can you start? First thing is this. View parenting as your primary job. View parenting as your primary job. You say, well, why? Check out verse 7. Actually, look at verse 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 6. These commandments that I give to you today, that's love God with all that you are and serve Him only, are to be upon your hearts. So it starts with you. And then verse 7, some of your translations will say, and, mine, mine stops, and it says, impress them on your children. Some, of, some translations say, and teach them diligently to your children. Impress them on your It's interesting to me that right after God says, love me with all you are, Follow me. Let these commands sink deep into your heart. The very next thing he says is not, and go get a good job and make all the money you can and enjoy your life and just kind of fulfill the American dream. He doesn't say that. That's just curious to me. What he says is, teach these things to your children. He immediately follows your responsibility to love God with the responsibility to teach to your children. So as a parent, I can easily look at that and say, well, God thinks that's pretty important. Why should I view parenting as my primary job? Because God does. I mean, if, if I'm a parent, God's given me no more important job 
than to raise my children to be spiritual champions. And so, how do you do that? I mean, how, do you, how, do you, how do you operate as if parenting is your most important job? The truth is this. It's probably going to cost you something. Barna did a study on parents who uh, are the most effective at, at doing this. And he realized in his study that most of those families didn't operate the way other families operate. And, and, and I realize, and, and to be very sensitive about it, I realize that we have certain families in here who have attained a lifestyle and, and, a, and a standard of living that would be maybe hard to come back off of. But I, I would challenge us, over time, if we can, as we view parenting as our primary job, to understand that we may have to make some very difficult decisions. That we may, in fact, be challenged by God to lower our standard of living just a little bit so we're home just a little bit more. Maybe, I don't know, maybe somebody in here is dealing with the, uh, the idea of, well, should we both be working or should we not? Or should I cut back? Or how should we do that? I don't know. I'm just saying, you may be faced with those decisions. I guarantee you this, you will never, ever regret obeying God and putting your kids first. You'll never regret it. Because God honors that, and that's His command. And so it's probably going to cost you something. You're probably not going to live like everybody else. In fact, you may have to give up some personal advancement and possibilities for the sake of your kids. And if it's important enough to you, then obviously you'll do that. If you view it as that important. I think also not only is it going to cost you, but you may have to just simply schedule time with your kids. Some of you are very organized. And your day is totally planned out. You've got a to-do list. And, and, I, and I, I'm curious, if you're like me, sometimes your kids get left off that to-do list. And I don't schedule time, and I don't intentionally make time for my children. Maybe you'd have to do that. If you're not intentional, the truth is it's not going to happen. And, and I would encourage you to start with something simple. Just get into their world. What do they like? I don't know. What, what do your kids like to do? What do your grandkids like to do? What do the young people in your life enjoy doing? Figure out a way to talk to them about it. If they like sports, act like you know something about sports. Go read something and figure it out. If they're into to music, I'm telling you, this would be this can be hard for me. If my kids are into music, because I don't know anything. I mean, I just I'm I'm not at all. You know, my sister was good at that. I'm just not. I'm gonna have to make some stuff up. You know, I'm gonna have to figure some stuff out. But I, but I'm gonna try to do that. What are they into? And then invite them also into your world. You know, from time to time, my kids will come over to my office with me. And, and, and they'll, they'll come and they'll run around the church and they'll have a good time. And, you know, it's interesting, though, Hank the other day started talking about he might want to be a preacher. And I just thought, well, boy, you don't know what you're getting into. But I thought, <laughs> I thought man, how cool, you know. What if, what, if, what if God chose to use him in an incredible way? Like, I don't know. But, you know, I've tried to invite them into my world as best I can. I, I'm doing, doing the best that I can each day to view parenting more and more as my primary job. Because in the Scripture it says, love God and then teach that to your kids. I mean, it is our primary job. I don't know what young people you're around. Maybe you're a parent with young kids in your home. Maybe you're a grandparent and, and you have young grandchildren. Maybe you're a Sunday school teacher. Maybe you're a school teacher. Maybe you just are around kids. Or you have influence on people who are around kids. I would encourage you to, to trumpet the idea that parenting is more important than how much money you make. Parenting is more important than taking a promotion that will negatively affect the spiritual growth of your kids because it will take you away more often. 
parenting is more important than their educational development, their social development, or, or, or anything else that you can develop your kids. Parenting is more important. And I would challenge you to identify the spiritual growth of your children as your primary responsibility during those parenting years. And it's hard. Why? Because we're in a spiritual battle. We have an enemy whose name is Satan, and he is not just a fictional character, a symbol of evil. He is real, and unfortunately, he's alive and active, and he wants nothing more than your children to either never follow Jesus or just be okay. He doesn't want them to be spiritual champions because those spiritual champions are dangerous to his cause. I'll tell you this. God has designed your children to be spiritual champions. And my prayer is that we'll get on board with doing whatever we can, making the sacrifices necessary, rallying behind the parents in our church as an entire church body to say, we are with you, we are praying for you, we love you. How can we help you raise those kids to be spiritual champions? That's the role that our church ought to play so that we can support it. You want to, you want to change this country. You want to change this community. You want to change this church to be full of God's Spirit through people who are spiritual champions. You're an adult in here. The sad fact is, it's not going to start with us. It's going to start with our kids. Whether they're your kids, my kids, or just kind of everybody's kids, they're going to start with the children. And I hope that we will, as a church body, love and support the parents who are currently raising children. Give them the resources. Teach them what they need to know. Pray for them just incessantly. And I guarantee you this. And if we focus on raising spiritual champions, this church will change, and it'll be great. Because we'll see God come alive in this place, maybe like we haven't in a long time. And our community will change, because the negative influences that we see will begin to be torn down by the positive influences, the godly influences that we're raising up. And ultimately, the change we really need in our country will happen, because it happened first in our homes. Because the truth is that change we really need in our country doesn't come from a politician doesn't come from a government program it doesn't come from anything but kids getting on fire and in love with Jesus Christ and that that is where it begins and ends the change that we need in our homes and so where are you today we'll pick it up next week finish that outline next week some of you are going to freak out all week long because you didn't get to fill in all the blanks and I know how it goes right But where are you? Do you view parenting as your primary job? If you're the parent of a a child right now who lives in your home, you have a wonderful opportunity. If you are the parent of a a grandchild or the grandparent of a grandchild who, who is around you quite, you've got the opportunity of a lifetime to be a part of their spiritual development. If you're around any of our children here at church, What an incredible opportunity. And so I just simply want to ask you to consider how God would have you move forward leaving here today. Maybe you'd like to take a moment and and just pray with maybe if your spouse is here or or, or maybe another family member. You say, you know what, I I just want to pray that God will will help us do this. Or maybe you're a grandparent and you just say, "I I want to fall on my knees before God for my grandkids. For my kids who are raising those grandkids. Or maybe you just say, I want to go grab somebody and just let me pray for you. Because I know you got those kids and I just want to pray for you. I don't know. How, how, how can you today respond to what God is saying? I, I don't know. But I know this, that if a church will support 
the raising of spiritual champions. If parents will get on board with looking that, at that as their primary job, then there is nothing that God can't do through this church. It's going to be incredible. And I hope you're excited about that because it involves everybody. Everybody. From the little kids all the way up to the folks who are real close to heaven. It involves everybody. And I get excited about that because there's not a spot that gets left out because we can all contribute to that. And so as, as we play and sing through the last hymn today, Maybe you'd just like to pray. Or maybe you'd like to go grab somebody and say, I'm going to pray for you. Maybe you'd just like to pray there in your seat, spend some time with God. I, I don't know what it is that you need to do. Or maybe through some of the definitions that I threw out there today, you just say, you know what? I, I don't know that I'm born again. I mean, I, I'm counting on just being good to get me into heaven. I, it just hits me between the eyes today, and I want to give my life to Jesus so I know for sure. Or I'm not a spiritual champion. You know, I'm not, I'm not any different than just the average person who claims to be a Christian. Man, I want to be. I want to experience God in that way. I, I don't know. Maybe, you, maybe you'd like to say, you know, I want to be obedient to God and, and be baptized. Maybe you've never been baptized as an adult. And maybe it was important for your, for your parents when you were a child, and maybe you want to take ownership for that. Maybe you'd like to be baptized. Or maybe you'd like to join this church and say, you know, I want to plant my life here and help. I want to get involved with raising those spiritual champions. We'd love to have you. So whatever it is that you need to respond, I pray you do it quickly. We're going to close here in just a moment. But let me pray for us, and they'll play and sing, and then you can respond however God calls you. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. and God, thank you that with something like this, that you, you just kind of put a full message on hold and just kind of talk to us about something in particular, about parenting being our primary job. And so, Lord, as a church, as, as parents, God, we commit to you that we'll view it that way. Pray that you give us the strength and courage, the knowledge, the wisdom that it takes to raise those spiritual champions. We do pray for our children that you would get a hold of their hearts. Use us to do it. Speak through us. Help us to love them in a way that we've been loved by you. God, may we see in this church, in this community, the change we really need, and that's in our homes. So God, we love you. We thank you. Jesus, thank you for going for the, to the cross for us. It's in your name we pray. Amen.